At the end of part one, Dorothea Puente was sentenced to five years in prison. So we can probably assume that when she was released, she was a reformed, well-adjusted citizen, right? Not so much. In part two, we'll cover Dorothea's next adventure with running a boarding house, even though it was against her parole. We'll also discuss another long stream of murders and how the police eventually caught her. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you plan on disposing of bodies in your backyard, stick around. A word of advice, burying them only two feet deep is a grave mistake. This is Necronomapod. So how's your uh, March Madness brackets doing? One of mine is really bad. The other one <laughs> is middle of the road, I guess. It's kind of getting along. I'm definitely not winning any money. It. I feel like like I haven't been following it very closely, but I feel like a lot of the one seeds are already out. No, like there's been some big upsets. Yeah, Kansas is gone. Didn't a, did Purdue another? Purdue is gone. Houston's still in a. Did another 16 seed beat a one seed this year, or did I? Purdue yeah. lost in the first round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have UConn to win it though. So I'm still in it. What are they? What seat are they Four. I have Alabama. So I'm could still maybe get in the money. I don't know. Hell yeah. Roll tide. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> All right. Well, you never know then if you didn't, if your winners are still in, then you never know. Yeah. I pick Kansas and my other ones. I put money down too on UConn. So I'll cash. From FanDuel, if, if they win. Yeah. They won't, but. <laughs> Why do you say that? Boy, can they, dream. What if they do? <laughs> they what are, it's are possible. We, are we in the Sweet 16 now? Is that where they're at? Yes. Okay. It was a week ago, I think, the tournament started, wasn't it? Weren't we recording last week when it was start, started? 16th, yeah. With the bonus show on yeah, uh, yeah. Thursday last week. All right. Well, I'll check in again next week. We'll see where your brackets are at. Sounds good. Hopefully, you guys are winning some money. Mm, we'll see. Doubtful. You could have built some nice parlays around those uh, couple of early upsets. You could have cashed. I know. I, I picked some good upsets. The you first. did, but you didn't bet them, though. Mm-mm. I didn't. If I would have ran those together. Yeah. Exactly. Didn't you? You had a big one, right? In, like that, in the first round, you predicted a big upset, didn't you? Yeah, Furman. That 13. See, beaten. Oh, yeah. Virginia. Yeah. Yeah, I had that one, right? There was a couple that for those first two days that I had, right? Look at you doing a good sports pick. Yeah. Not bad. I've been betting uh, NASCAR with Mike's guidance on some of these picks, and NASCAR's fun just like everything else when you gamble on it. There is a group of people now that every <laughs> Sunday morning or Saturday evening, I send out my top picks and my um, uh, uh, long shots. And they can take it or leave it, and you can you can bet wins or top tens. I think, however you want to do it. Um, but it's fun for me because I don't actually put any money down. So I'm like, eh, here's my thoughts. <laughs> I've been pretty accurate this year, though. It's been good. Dave will hit big eventually. We gotta get one of these long shots to win. I'm getting there. Yeah. This week will be interesting. It's a road course that mixes things up. Okay. 
but I'm not, I'm sure the guys who are typically good at road courses who might not be good at like the ovals are probably still going to be tops. Like their, mm. their odds are not going to be typical underdog odds. So I'll have to look at that before. Okay. Like if I give you a long shot of a guy who never usually wins, but he's a good road racer, right. it's probably not actually a long shot. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. his, his, you know, so we'll see. Anyways, Ian, if you ever want to start betting NASCAR, let me know. I'll include right. you in that group. <laughs> it is fun. Give it makes that end of the race fun. Yeah. Everything is more fun when you have money. It absolutely it. is. Well, I cashed, what, 250 in the Daytona 500 with that. Because uh, picking the 31st to 40th place. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> It was like, cause everything else didn't work out. Your guys got like yeah, wrecked out, yeah. but you happened to make a bet on the winner would come from a starting position of 31st to 40th. That's right. And I think the winner was like 32nd That's or something. Right. <laughs> you and uh, just brew Jared. That's like right. that, that hit big. So, you know, who else hit big? This bitch. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of killing in this episode. Yeah. And there's a lot of like, how the fuck did she just keep on going with this? with nobody catching on or going after her. That's how most serial killers get away. Target the right population. That and but I mean, a little bit of incompetence. And, but I mean, we're talking about a girl here who was on parole, was not allowed to have a boarding house, had a boarding house. <laughs> Almost immediately had another boarding house. <laughs> she had people like witness to a lot of her, at least tomfoolery that just she intimidated, I guess, or had lie. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy. It went on for so long. I'll be up front here. I watched Ghost Adventures <laughs> visit to this house. That is so ridiculous. Oh, they it went was there. Absolutely ridiculous. It's everything that he thought it would be. <laughs> he went to the axe murder one that we covered on Patreon. Valeska. Yeah. And we remember we said that that was scummy mm. to go there. Remember, we're like, That's, those are murder victims. Mm. I guess we're, this is even worse. She's murdering sick and intellectually disabled people mm. and then he goes there like it's a to do a ghost hunt well and the and, house is ridiculous he they get there and there's like a, a dorothea wax mannequin figure at the top of the stairs and it's just a really there's a plaque dorothea <laughs> murdered people it's really an odd thing oh is it like a museum type thing no people live there but they're kind of treating it like that with a mannequin of her on the porch they didn't really explain it, but they interviewed people that lived there who were the old lady that lived there supposedly was being visited by Dorothy at her bedside. It appeared to me she was having trouble remembering what Zach told her to say during <laughs> during the clip. Right. That's how I read it. But it the Velisca murder once I, I didn't watch the episode. But like the promo photos. What do you mean? The promo <laughs> photos. They were standing in the front yard all holding axes. Yeah. Like oh, how yeah. is this respectable? It's not. Or respectful. Excuse me. Well, and that place is like a ex mu murder museum though. So yeah, they kind the of the house was turned into that. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah. But okay. Even still, that's not time heals cool. all wounds, Mike. That was over a hundred years ago. Okay. I believe what, what is Michael Scott? We're just now able to make Lincoln jokes. Is that what it was? <laughs> <laughs> Can't make Kennedy jokes. That's right. Nine 11 still touch and go. Yeah, it's coming around. So anyways, on that note, yeah, with all that good stuff, take it away where we left off on part one, Dorothea was sent to prison for five years for poisoning and robbing Malcolm McKenzie and Dorothy Osborne. While she was waiting for trial, Dorothea's live in friend, 
Ruth Monroe died under suspicious circumstances, and Ruth's kids felt that Dorothea was responsible. Dorothea only served three of those five years, so she started her sentence in 1982. And sometime in 1984, she started participating in a pen pal program. Through that pen pal program, she started writing back and forth with 77-year-old Everson Gilmouth. You like that name, Mike? Everson Gilmouth. That's cool. I like the name Everson a lot. That's, That's neat, a cool right? name. Gilmouth's okay. Everson's a cool name. Sounds like British royalty or something. Sir Everson Gilmouth. <laughs> classy. If your name's Everson, classy. you probably get manicures. That's okay. Oh, yeah. Got to have class, pal. Well, I get pedicures. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Well, I said manicures. <laughs> if your name's Dave, you get pedicures. That's true. Got free beers at the pedicure place, pal. It's pretty awesome. Oh, you get free beers? Absolutely. That cool. place that, is awesome. That's why you got the free beers. Yeah, massage chair. They rub your feet and give you free beers. <laughs> All right. One of my favorite places in town. I've never had a manicure or a pedicure. I always bite my nails a lot, though. I, oh, I don't think There's not a hands, lot to work with. Your feet, man. It's a fun time. All right. Sorry, Ian. We'll do a, ne- we'll a necro spa day. Necro spa day. I am all for all this for hard work. I we'll, love spa day. Uh, take a well-deserved spa day. We'll get manis and petties and massages and facials. And then we'll give them facials. <laughs> Everybody wins, right? Win, win. So through those letters, Everson told Dorothea how he was a widower and he was interested in remarrying. Everson started this pen pal program trying to find a woman to be with how do you do that exactly do you look up the roles i mean things are a lot different now but just go somewhere and look at a list of inmates and like that's a nice name dorothea i'm gonna write to her do they do that or do you just write a letter and then they'll randomly give it to like a prisoner do they like pass i don't i'm asking like Like maybe that's jane letter yeah and then then they hook you up like through that maybe and like if you're one of the prisoners you can volunteer like yeah i want a pen pal so they're like, here, here's your next victim. <laughs> Prisonpussy.com, I think. <laughs> Nowadays. Yeah, back then, they didn't right. have it. Now, it's just prisonpussy.com. If that doesn't exist, we need to start that. Declan, get your notepad. <laughs> You're going to be on that list, pal, if you don't get the work on this. <laughs> Dorothea pushed for more information, and Everson told her that he received a monthly pension check. With that, Dorothea had found her next victim. Oh, uh, pension check, you say? <laughs> She's like, I'll take that one. I'll take that one. Oh, 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 give that one to me. <laughs> she wrote to Everson up until the day she was paroled in August of 1985. Dorothea's parole specifically said that she was not to be paid anyone's social security, as in she cannot be the payee for anyone, including a family member. She wasn't allowed to work with the elderly or people suffering from any form of disability, and she was never to run a boarding house of any type or healthcare establishment again. Nothing left to do but go hoeing, I guess. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> so how, how old is she now? What year is it? I don't think there's a lot of hoeing in this 85. one. Though. No, the complete lack of hoeing. It's very disappointing. Well, remember, she was in her 30s, and she realized that she was getting older. And That's right. She gained weight, so she was like, I'm going to start pimping women out. Yeah, I'm a madam now. I'm not yeah. a hoe anymore. So she realized <laughs> she was too old to hoe. Yeah. But being Mexican was fine. She was like, oh, yeah, I can pull that off still. Yeah, that never stopped. Mexican, yes. Ho, no. No ho. Vagine was hanging like the sleeve of a woman. <laughs> 
Uh, she was born in 29, so she's 56 years old. Saying that she's, well, in jail, they have to know, you know, they know her real age. But to the outside world, she's 65, 70. Yeah. If I ever lived to the decrepit age of 56, she'd put me out the pasture. Like, that's it. Uh-huh. What's the point anymore? <laughs> Talk to me in 15 years, pal. I won't. I'll hopefully be put out to pasture. <laughs> It is interesting though. 15, when you, I'm 19 <laughs> years away from that. Uh huh. <laughs> Any hoodles? He work. never was good with math. I was going to say some of the news reports you'll hear they they mention her like when she's on the run later. Mm-hmm. The foreshadowing, <laughs> but uh, they mentioned the news reports her as being like 70 years old. Yeah. So that was accepted. And on the run. Yeah. yeah. She was accepted as a 70 year old right, Mexican right. woman. <laughs> <laughs> If we remember from last week, Dorothea was renting the second floor of, of Ricardo Odorico's house at 1426 F Street in Sacramento, California. Remember, Ricardo was Mexican. A to, real Mexican or a fake Mexican? He was real. Okay. He's <laughs> a real Mexican. <laughs> fight for the rights of every man. <laughs> so yeah, he had two kids too, and Dorothea had everybody fold that she was Mexican. So she was kind of like this grandmother figure to the kids and they all spent holidays together, all that kind of stuff. As soon as Dorothea was out of prison, Ricardo took her back and Dorothea went back to occupying the second floor of his house. Not too long after Dorothea moved back into Ricardo's, Everson Gilmouth showed up. He put a trailer on the back of his red pickup truck, threw everything that he owned inside a trailer and drove from Oregon to Sacramento to move in with Dorothea. Everson had a history of heart issues and his family was concerned, specifically his sister Reba. She didn't love the idea of her brother just ditching his life to go marry a woman straight out of prison that he's never met before. (laughs) You don't say. (laughs) So when she didn't hear from Everson after a few weeks, Reba called the police. On September 17th, 1985, Sacramento police did a welfare check on Everson and he told them that there was nothing wrong. Everson then hopped on the phone to call Reba and told her everything was fine and to leave him alone. It's like, I'm getting this Mexican pussy. Leave me alone. I'm fine here. (laughs) On October 14th, 1985, Reba received a letter from Dorothea saying that everything was fine there in Sacramento and her and Everson were getting married. Then Reba got another letter on November 2nd, 1985, this time from Everson saying that the wedding was off and he was planning on moving south. In reality, Everson was still at the F Street house until mid-December 1985. We know this because Ricardo Odorico and his family left in mid-December to stay for an extended period of time in Mexico. Ricardo said that he told Everson bye, and he asked him about his health. Ricardo said later on that Everson was looking pretty run down. Did she buy this house from him when he left? It's a little unclear like going forward because it's always referred to as her house. Yeah, I don't know if he, like, just stayed in Mexico for a very long time. Or, yeah, it was, it's unclear. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Because it didn't seem like she had the funds to buy it from him or anything. So I don't know what the arrangement was there. But, you know. Yeah, I don't know. It's not Ricky's murder house we talk <laughs> about now. Like, it's always it's put on her. So he kind of <laughs> skated under the radar there when they talk about this place in the future. <laughs> From the court case timeline, about a week after Ricardo and his family went to Mexico, 
Dorothea got moving on turning Ricardo's house into her no, into her new boarding scam. In that same third week of December 1985, Dorothea murdered Everson. She presumably poisoned him by giving him the wrong medication or something along those lines, and then she moved his body to an upstairs bedroom. We know she took his body upstairs to a bedroom from the testimony of Jesus Mesa. At pretty much the same time as Dorothea murdered Everson, she was starting to take in new tenants. Jesus Mesa's girlfriend, Brenda Trujillo, was renting a basement room from Dorothea, and Jesus stopped by around Christmas 1985 to visit Brenda. Jesus noticed a weird smell, and so did his girlfriend. She just didn't complain to Dorothea about it. Scared. Dorothea led Jesus up to the bedroom where Everson's body was and asked him to help her move the body. She told Jesus that Everson died from a heart attack, but he refused to help move the body. As Jesus was leaving, Dorothea warned him not to call the police, and he listened. He did not report this. Wow. Might have nipped this in the bud early on, huh? What a beta cuck. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. for what? Of balls, man. For not calling or for not moving the body? For not calling. Uh, yeah. Getting whipped by her. Yeah, I wonder why he didn't yeah. turn it in. Some people don't want to get involved with the police. But dead body. Someone's <laughs> asking you to move it. I don't know. Well, he also, you know, he may not have even thought about the fact that he maybe he believed her from the start and just thought, oh, he died. Ambulance will come get it or something. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't necessarily know there was any foul play. Yeah, it's true. What's she backing up these warnings with, I guess? I'll kick your girlfriend out of the house. Like, But that's what I said at the beginning. Like, how does she just keep getting away with this? Mm-hmm. Like, how does nobody stand up to her? She's very, uh, very verbally abusive. Hmm. Like, fly off the handle temper. She's a fiery little Mexican woman. <laughs> <laughs> Don't fuck around with that, man. <laughs> Because Dorothea was looking for new tenants and being part of the community, like last week how we talked about how she could cook traditional Mexican food and was just known around the community as a super caring and giving person, it wasn't hard for her to find Ismael Flores. Dorothea made a deal with Flores, be my handyman in return, I'll give you this red pickup truck, which was Everson's. Not too long after, Flores started doing work around the F Street house. Uh, and Dorothea asked him to build her a six foot by three foot wooden box to store some old stuff that had been in the way. When Flores was done, Dorothea told him that she would get a hold of him when she needed it moved. <laughs> mm. <laughs> About three days later, Dorothea and Flores were in Everson's truck driving down the Sacramento River with the box in the bed of the truck, which, spoiler, it had Everson's body in it. Stop it! <laughs> What, what, what? (laughs) (laughs) Dorothy told Flores that they were taking the box to a storage unit, but as they were driving, Dorothea just all of a sudden changed her mind and told Flores to stop. She didn't want the stuff in the box anymore and told him to just leave it on the side of the road. Flores dragged the box past the side of the road and down toward the river, but not actually in the water, and then they drove back to the F Street house. As you could imagine, Everson's body was found pretty quick, because for real, they just like, he drug he drug it down a bit, but not mm. really far. Like it was basically still on the side of the road. Litter bugs. Littering is not a victimless crime, as you can see here. It's true. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> 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 
on January 1st, 1986, the police were notified. However, uh, decomposition was too advanced, and Everson's body was listed as a John Doe. Geez, how long was he up in that room? What was the date? This was January 1st, November 2nd, two months almost. Yeah, yeah, that would be, uh, it's, so be some decomposition. The third week of December, 1985, that's when she murdered him. So oh, Sometime in that a, third week. Oh, only a couple so, weeks later then. Maybe, yeah, not even two weeks maybe. Interesting. What, Ian, Mike, what, that picture we posted of Ian in the coffin the other day, what if we would have done this to him? Just left him in the river in that coffin. Uh, laying in that coffin long enough, he would have got pregnant <laughs> with all the sperm in that coffin. Or, you know, we discussed that. That's a fuck coffin. <laughs> Talk about F Street. <laughs> the F Street house was pretty far from the boarding house that Dorothea had set up before she went to prison. Remember last week we were talking about how she could hold as many as 40 residents? Now, big Victorian house. Yeah. yeah. Now the F Street house could hold eight at a time. Downsized. Because Dorothea was presenting herself as a legitimate boarding house, residents were required to either prove they had government assistance or were able to. Dorothea would make herself the payee without a tenant knowing, like putting herself down as a cousin or something like that. Or she would just take the check out of the mail and forge a signature. Yeah, that's the easy way to do it. Sure. Probably a lot easier back then without before direct deposit and stuff. Yeah. Checks, paper checks in the mail and different time well you could just write like you could just bounce checks i mean you'd go, go to jail eventually for doing that yeah, but, but you could if just do that here and there yeah like the department store she bought a bunch of stuff and she the one that went back then though yeah, yeah. The next day not too smart yeah, she's a dummy in spring of 1986 78 year old leona carpenter moved into the f street house leona had a lot of health problems including a life of alcoholism is that considered a health problem <laughs> I think once you get to 78, maybe. <laughs> I've heard it could potentially be an issue, but only if you're kind of like a little bitch. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's based on... Uh, like, you know, like if you're a, a tough guy, you're fine. If you get, you know, pedicures, you're probably going to have issues. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. I read it in a book. Well, if it's in a book, it must be true. It's called Weekly World News, the Medical Encyclopedia. <laughs> Fascinating. Leona was so thankful to have a comfortable place to live. She signed over her power of attorney to Dorothea. The following year, 33-year-old Carol Durning moved into the house. It's not clear exactly why she needed to live in a boarding house, but her and Dorothea became drinking buddies. Maybe she just wanted to drink with a Mexican woman. She might have. It's her lifelong goal. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, you got a room for a rent? I'll take it. Yeah. You also like to drink and you're a Mexican woman? Perfect. <laughs> Carol didn't notice anything weird until 80-year-old Betty Palmer moved in. Even though Betty was 80, she was described as being in pretty good shape, just pretty good physical shape, just suffering from dementia, and she needed, she needed around-the-clock care. Pretty soon after moving in with Dorothea, Betty got super sick. Carol later testified that she saw Dorothea give Betty more medication than she needed, but Dorothea told Betty that she was wrong. After a week or so, Betty was obviously very sick, but Dorothea refused to take Betty to the hospital. Then, exactly after one month of living there, Betty Palmer was just gone. The idea of being 80 years old and 
not having anyone else to take care of you and having to move into a boarding house run by strangers and being just subject to their whim is absolutely terrifying to be at that stage of your life and to be so helpless like this. Yeah. It's really scary. And that's the thing about who she's targeting. It's people that are just completely vulnerable and in need. Like Betty Palmer suffering from uh, dementia. She didn't really know, Mm -hmm. you know, what was going on. Um, Leona Carpenter, she was just so thankful to have a place to live. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's a terrible victim pool that she preyed on. Yeah. Based on the investigation, Dorothea decapitated Betty and cut off her hands to limit chances of Betty being identified. She was buried in the backyard and then covered with cement. And that brings in the idea of accomplices because Dorothea Puente was five foot three. You know, you don't want to say she's not strong enough, but she didn't do this by herself. No. It's a lot to do by herself. Yeah. She didn't dig a grave, even if it's two feet, and lay cement over it. Mm. There's talk of a random homeless guy that everybody just knew as Chief, that Chief was helping her do this stuff. And then one day, Chief was just gone. So maybe he fell victim to her as well. And he wasn't buried there. He was taken somewhere else because his remains weren't found. There wasn't like a John Doe found on her property. But there was a guy named Chief that was hanging around helping her do stuff. So it might be that guy or another tenant named John McCauley. Because John McCauley is willing to help her get away. Okay. Oh, spoiler, man. Yeah, sorry. Well, I saw a clip from the trial. The pro- was it the prosecutor or that the the lead investigating cop said that 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 she had hired some convicts to help her dig holes too. So that was their theory. And it's kind of, and it's not like it's it's sort of a busy street too. It's two blocks from the governor's mansion in, in Sacramento. So you're not, you know, you're not out in some suburban country setting where you know no one's going to notice you. I guess. Digging these holes. Yeah. You seem to be in the middle of the town. Well, she yeah, was a hotel across the street. Exactly. She had a really nice garden. Like all the flowers and stuff were always really nice. And people were like wondering why she always tear up the, the flowers. Like they're always really nice, but she's always tearing them up and then putting new stuff in. And then one person rationalized it, a social worker, I think, rationalized it as, well, maybe she's just having guys just tear it up just to give them something to do because she's such a caring person. Uh, That's how fooled she had people. A lot of good cover stories going on here. Well, it also covers why there's people working out in the garden at probably all hours of the night, I guess. Yeah. She's just such a nice lady that I have these beautiful roses, but so-and-so from the detox center needs a, needs something to do so he can come here and just rip them all up and put new ones in. Wow. When Carol Durning asked about where Betty had gone, Dorothea told her that Betty's sister had come to pick her up. However, not too long after, Betty's sister came looking for her. I'm not sure what the excuse was to Betty's sister, but Dorothea told Carol that she had Betty committed to a nursing home and didn't want to tell Betty's sister. That makes no sense. Yeah, right. Next to fall victim to Dorothea was 63-year-old James Gallup. James was a lifelong alcoholic that had trouble keeping a job and a roof over his head. 
He met Dorothea at a bar, and through conversation, Dorothea learned that James was in real bad shape health-wise. He needed to have brain surgery and had really bad eyesight. She offered for James to come stay at the house, and once he was at the F Street house, Dorothea informed him that part of the requirement for staying there was that Dorothea would have to assume control of his finances. James said absolutely not, and according to Carol Durning, Dorothea was furious. I bet she was. Went off the rails, like that whole really bad temper thing. Dorothea ended up letting James stay until he was done recovering from his brain surgery, which would have been March 1987. While James was recovering, Carol Durning testified that she had seen Dorothea give James his medication, and James said something along the lines of, you already gave me my medicine. And Dorothea would be like, no, you must be wrong. Like, you're forgetting things, and James took them. The next month in April of 1987, James was back at the bar hanging out. A couple weeks later, when Dorothea was at the bar, the bartender asked her where James was, and Dorothea said she didn't know. James just packed up and left in the middle of the night. In reality, he was already dead and buried in the backyard. Mm. But she's not keeping people around long enough to drain them of their money. So I feel like we're getting into an area where just killing is the motive here. It doesn't seem financial. No, because she would hold on to these people as long as possible. Unless she got sick of them and they were causing her too much trouble. And then she just decided to kill him and she could just get another person to replace them. I don't know. but Or is it to try to become their payee as quickly as possible so now you have access to the checks, kill them, keep cashing the checks, and get more people in there and just try to build up a repertoire of... It's probably a little tons of checks coming in every month, but just the people that aren't here anymore. I don't know. She w- she the- was still cashing like Betty Palmer. Um, her checks still they kept coming. Yeah, and she kept cashing them. So maybe that is the part of it. She know. certainly enjoys killing, though. I mean, the I way that's the, right. The the pace at which she's doing it at this point, and <clears throat> the amount of people she's killing. There's something to that at least. She's not just she doesn't dislike it by any means. No. seems to have a, a good system going. Yeah, it's finance. There's the financial aspect to it, but the pace from like last week till now, it ramps up like a mm. like a typical serial killer. Maybe she just got annoying old people in this stretch. I, don't know. I think that's part of it with some <laughs> people that she just got annoyed with them yeah. or they yeah. caused problems. Like this guy is taking over my finances, bitch. <laughs> yeah, right. I think I got an audio clip of him talking to her. Are you standing back here, Dorothea? Are you watching us? Stupid old lady. <laughs> Good God. That's the, what the show is? That's Is that the dude we always make fun of? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Stupid old lady. He's for real an idiot. <laughs> he, should, he should be ashamed of himself for going to this house and doing that. This show is so fucking funny. He's laying on the bed. <laughs> like that same kind of thing where he's like immobilized and they're looking at him. Are you okay? Are you okay? And, and he felt like it was 5,000 pounds of weight on him or something. And then he's sitting there on the side of the bed, like catatonic. And he just like falls, rolls off and falls on the ground. Oh my this gosh. This is so stupid. Why would Dorothy even be there? She didn't die there. She's there. The victims are there too. Is that how it de- 
when you're a ghost, can you go haunt wherever you want to haunt? Apparently, you can go where the fuck you want, right? That's the rules. Yeah. They brought in psychics. They flew them in from Los Angeles. They roll up in the Escalade and they have like the sleeping, you know, blinders on so they don't know what house they're at. And then they walk in. They have everything covered up. You so can't. They have a seance. No. So they don't even. They didn't know what house they were at. They, they, they didn't and then know. They started talking to the actual ghosts that yeah, were there. That's right. Well, that's that's real. That's right. Then you can't fake that. <laughs> that's good stuff. The cop. They they actually had the <laughs> cop there. They interviewed the cop a bit. He says he uh, believes some of these people were buried alive. They weren't even dead yet when they were buried. Oh, so that's God. pretty terrifying. I could see that if she drugged them and didn't drug them enough. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like she was beating people to death. Or, right. Yeah. Next was 64-year-old Vera Martin. Vera moved in on October 2nd, 1987. Uh, Vera had a lot of health problems, more than usual tenants. After a week of being there, she disappeared, probably because she was too much of a burden on Dorothea. I think that's mm. probably what happened there. Next was 55-year-old Benjamin Fink. He was living at the house for most of... 1987 and his brother came to visit him often which his brother said that he was never suspicious about anything going on at the house benjamin was an alcoholic and he was a pretty rowdy one he would get pretty belligerent in january of 1988 benjamin got out of hand and was acting like a real asshole around the house scaring the other tenants dorothea got benjamin to calm down and she took him upstairs she told the other tenants that she was going to take Benjamin upstairs and get him to calm down. The next day, Dorothea told everyone that Benjamin took off in the middle of the night. After the fact, at trial, multiple tenants said that the room where Benjamin was taken started to smell. Eventually, Benjamin was buried in the backyard with Dorothea's other murder victims. She probably just poisoned him to death upstairs, mm-hmm. you know, just gave him something to calm down, but a lethal dose of whatever it was. Yep. I think the other people probably saw this and recognized what happened, and they're not going to be speaking up now, right? They see what happens when you are a little out of control. Yeah. If you backtalk Dorothea or get on her bad side, all of a sudden you just disappear. Yeah. You imagine being an old person living like that? And you awful. have dementia. Like, yeah. You're not all there. Or you're a recovering drug addict that's not all there and there's mental illness involved unmedicated mental illness yeah, like, all, all bad yeah nobody here everybody here is easy to take advantage of financially let alone kill them yeah in february 1988 51 year old alvaro bert gonzalez montoya moved into the f street house bert wasn't an alcoholic or drug addict and he didn't have any severe illnesses like other tenants that had heart issues and things like that bert suffered from schizophrenia and intellectual disabilities and like so many others bert didn't have a support system and he never stayed on his medication he was described as a really big teddy bear type guy that wouldn't hurt anyone and his lovable demeanor got him a place to stay at a detox center he didn't have anything to detox from Um, the staff just liked him and he would help out there with maintenance and around the building. So they gave him a cot to sleep on a social worker named Judy Moyes was working with that detox center and wanted to find something better for Bert than a cot and a place full of people that he didn't need to be around. You know, people can get out of hand in those, in those places, you know, it's not the detox center. Yeah. Um, he didn't belong there. No. 
Judy helped Bert get signed up for the government assistance he was eligible for and started looking for somewhere for Bert to live. Judy kept hearing good things about Dorothea Puente, that Dorothea ran a really clean place and everyone lived there was happy and Dorothea would take in anyone and provide them care. So Bert moved into Dorothea's boarding house. A couple months later, Judy stopped by to check on Bert and it was a complete turnaround. Dorothea had gotten Bert to steadily take his medication. He had some skin issues that Dorothea obviously bought him products or got him a prescription for to clear up. Um, and his whole demeanor was different. They had a video crew, if anybody watched that Netflix show about this, they had like a, a video crew go up to and kind of talk to Bert. They were doing some type of, a, I don't know what type, but not a documentary, mm -hmm. but the the social thing that, that Judy worked for. Um, but on the next, on the Netflix show, Bert can't really talk or he just mumbles to himself a lot. Like whatever he's hearing in his head, he's just mumbling mm -hmm. to. Um, but after he was with her, he was talk me more talkative and he said he liked it there. Yeah. Probably just had stability for the first time too in a while mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. someone that he thought was caring for him and he trusted. So he was taking his meds and yeah, the sad story, this guy and, uh, and Judy turned out to be the hero of this whole story. Dorothea had the payee changed for Bert's assistance money. She listed herself as Bert's cousin, but Bert and Dorothea got along really well and she set him up a small tab at a bar nearby where Bert could go have a beer and a burrito. How <laughs> kind of her to do that. I wish cool down media would do that for me. That'd be nice if I go get a beer and a burrito. <laughs> well, Dave, if you can't have one beer and one burrito, let's be honest. That's true. We can't afford your beer and burrito tab, pal. <laughs> No, we can't afford any of ours, to be honest. <laughs> maybe Declan. He's a little dainty fuck. He can yeah. eat a half a burrito, maybe. <laughs> we'll get him one taquito. He'll eat that from the gas station. <laughs> like, a, like a shitty one, too. Like like rice and bean. Like no meat at all. No just, meat for Declan? Yeah, just a rice and bean little fucking extra crispy <laughs> taquito. That's what you get, pal. Fuck you. Only his sister gets all the meat, right? She gets all the meat. <laughs> Necronomapod is sponsored by BetterHelp. When was the last time you learned something new about yourself? What was that like? How did it make you feel? As people, we're constantly evolving and bettering ourselves. So you shouldn't be surprised when you learn something new. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and changing. Perhaps this means professionally, spiritually, mentally, or even just educating ourselves and becoming smarter. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding, because sometimes we don't know what we want or act the way we do until we talk things through. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. BetterHelp therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy a great way to discover more about who you are, and empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. So why wait any longer? Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Necro today and get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Necro.
earlier in the episode, we talked about a tenant named Leona Carpenter. Leona had survived living with Dorothea for two years at this point. So she would have been 80. We don't know why exactly. Maybe Dorothea just got sick of her. But Leona was murdered and buried in the yard with the rest of her victims. A couple months later, in 1988, 64-year-old Dorothy Miller had also gone missing. Dorothy had told other residents that Dorothy had been arrested, but in reality, she was buried in the backyard. In August of 1988, Bert went to the bar to have his beer and burrito, but he passed out at the bar. People had to help him back to Dorothea's, and looking back on it, some of those witnesses said it was like Bert was drugged or something. Not long after this, still in August, Bert showed back up at the detox place. He said that he didn't want to go back to Dorothea's house, but he couldn't express himself properly. Remember, on top of schizophrenia, he had an intellectual disability. The people at the detox center talked Bert into going back. Oh, man. That's a real sad one. It really is. On September 2nd, 1988, Bert called the Sacramento post office and tried to tell whoever answered the phone his name while Dorothea was screaming in the background. According to court documents, all Bert could say before the phone was hung up was, quote, She's got my social security check. I can't give you my phone number. I live at 1426 F Street. Bert called back twice, and Dorothea could be heard refusing to give Bert a pen and paper. And it seems like he just gave up trying to figure out what was going on with this money because he stopped calling the post office, and there's no record of him trying to call a government agency or anything like that. A couple weeks later, in September of 1988, Judy Moist, the social worker that got Bert hooked up with Dorothea, stopped by to visit him, only to be told by Dorothea that Bert went to visit with family in Mexico. Dorothea told Judy that Bert would be back in a couple of days. When Judy came back at the end of the month, Dorothea told her that she had talked to Bert on the phone and things were going so well in Mexico that he was going to stay longer. At this point, Judy was super suspicious. Bert had an issue going anywhere farther than down the street from where he was living at the time, let alone make his way to another country. Yeah, that didn't happen. He's like on a street. That was it. Yeah. One street. He's not going to Mexico by himself. No. This went back and forth until November 1st, 1988, when Judy flat out confronted Dorothea and said, you provide me proof that Bert is alive and well by November 7th, or I'm calling the police and I'm going to report him as missing. When November 7th rolled around, Judy got a call from someone claiming to be Bert's brother-in-law. This man said that after Mexico, Bert would be coming to live with him in Utah. When Judy asked to speak with Bert, the man told her that he was sick and hung up. Later that day, Judy received a letter postmarked from Reno, Nevada, that said Bert was going to be living with his brother-in-law in Utah. At that point, Judy called the police to report Bert is missing, to let them know that something was really off with Dorothea Puente. They drove out to Reno to mail something, huh? Interesting. And who knows who she had drive out there. Yeah, That's what this yeah. accomplished, shit, you know. She didn't do it. For sure not. Hi, this is Bert's brother-in-law. <laughs> this isn't a Mexican lady. <laughs> I just want to let you know that he's with me and he's fine. <laughs> that sounds like Mrs. Hildebrand calling. <laughs> yeah. Fuck that, lady. Can we poison her, please? <laughs> A police officer stopped by Dorothea's, and she told him the same story that she had told Judy. Then one of her tenants, John Sharp, confirmed the story to the officer. John said that he saw Bert get into a truck that was heading to Mexico. 
However, as the police officer was leaving, John slipped him a note that said, quote, she's making me lie for her. Damn. All right, John, let's go now. Get some balls. Let's get this uh, done. It's very Jonestown-esque, remember? Yeah. They slipped the note to the NBC reporter. Yep. I forgot all about that. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you'll cover that on the final episode of Promised Land. <laughs> I will, for sure. <laughs> 2025. <laughs> <laughs> on November 11th, Judy met with Detective John Cabrera. After reviewing Dorothea's case, John found that Dorothea had visited her parole officer 21 times, and on every one of those occasions, she told her PO about the boarding house she was running at F Street, and even went as far as to offer to give her parole officer a tour. Remember, we talked about it right off the bat in the beginning. The whole point of her parole is that she, she would never run a facility like this, right. never be in contact, really, with anybody that was in need of anything. She's not even hiding it. Yeah, no, she was like, hey, you can come by. What the fuck is that parole officer doing? I don't know. This is literally your job. You're supposed to be keeping people safe by checking in on these people who are out on parole on your caseload. Maybe she was hoeing and giving them some (laughs) handers or something to pacify him. We're not ruling it out at this point. <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm just <laughs> suggesting possible reasons. We'll put a pin in that, and it's probably just going to stay a pin because I don't think we'll ever get back to it. <laughs> just let it, the record show that has not been ruled out by us. Can you reach out to her PO officer tomorrow and get a comment on that? I'll see. He was getting handers. When was this? What year is this? 1988. They, they might have been retired by now. Well, we'll they say. might not have been, though, so much. <laughs> they could have been a young whippersnapper at the time, and they're still going. They probably run the whole fucking parole board now. It's Gavin Newsom. He's the governor now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Detective Cabrera went to Dorothea's and told her that he was looking for Bert. Dorothea let him in and gave him the same story that she had been giving to Judy. Cabrera talked to John Sharp, who passed the note, and Carol Durning, but both of them didn't offer up anything. I don't know if they were just very scared of Dorothea. Um, maybe some some intellectual disabilities, something, you know, she obviously she got power them. over them. Yeah. At the end of the visit, Cabrera asked Dorothea if they could dig around the backyard. He told her that Judy was insisting Bert was buried in the backyard. And if he could just dig around a bit, maybe that would put Judy at ease. They dug around for a while. And right when Cabrera was about to call it quits, he dug up a leg bone that still had some decaying flesh on it. Based on the decomposition in the size, the leg couldn't be Bert's, but this was now a crime scene to some degree. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, sure. Go dig around. Just being there. I got nothing to hide. Like she didn't fight that at all. She was just like, go ahead. That bold, just a sweet old lady. And she's like, yeah, Yeah, go dig. Go ahead. I thought bold, but like dumb. Yeah. Dumb. Like if you only went like two feet deep, (laughs) like what's your thought? Like, you know, they're going to find them. Are they just, are you thinking they're never going to accuse the, the sweet old lady who runs the boarding house, who everyone loves. Did she think he was bluffing just to see if she would. And then he walks in with a shovel. She's like, Oh fuck. (laughs) Yeah. Like the smart. Wait, 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 what? You're actually going to do this. The smart moves to say, get a warrant. And then as soon as he leaves, you pack some cash and you go to Mexico or yeah, you like, make your getaway. At some just point to be like, yes, you're like, burned. I don't know if it's arrogance to the point yeah. that it's stupid or. And then again, where does the arrogance stemming from? They're not going to find him, or they're never accuse me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's weird. The next day, the police came back and started digging. 
They didn't have anything to arrest Dorothea on specifically. They didn't have an ID or the cause of death for the remains they dug up the day before. There could be multiple explanations for why human remains would be in the yard. The main one that given the year that the F street house was built, people during that time sometimes chose to bury loved ones in the backyard. Um, there's still flesh on that leg bone, but <laughs> the police needed more to actually arrest Dorothea. At least that's the way the police say it. Mm. You moved the headstones, but you <laughs> left the bodies. It's the greatest Star Trek quote of all time. <laughs> A bunch of people and news reporters showed up to see what was going on. So Dorothea pulled Detective Cabrera aside. She told him that the whole thing was stressing her out and she just wanted some air. Yeah, all these corpses you're finding in my backyard. It's really stressing me out, man. This is upsetting. I'm so upset by this. I thought I buried them better, but now you're finding them, and uh, it's causing me great consternation. I just, please, let me get a soy macchiato. That's all I need. Well, and there's video of her like standing up on the porch just yeah. looking like this shocked little old lady that's yeah. completely in shock of what's going on. No clue. Oh, me? What? <laughs> Uh, she asked Cabrera, if I'm not arrested, can I go across the street to grab a coffee? Just get some fresh air. There was a hotel across the street that had a coffee shop attached. Detective Cabrera had no reason to tell Dorothea no, so he walked over to the coffee shop and then went back to digging. I would say that he had no reason to tell her no, but he probably should have kept eyes on her. Could have assigned someone to follow her, maybe. <laughs> you know, just sit outside the, the, the might, Starbucks. Might it not have Starbucks, but, you know, maybe eyes on at that point. Yeah. You are digging up bodies in the backyard of her house. <laughs> just yeah. have somebody. There's a somebody patrol there. guy, someone just to keep an eye. At the very least. Or just say, you know, hey, we're having coffee delivered. Why don't you hang out here for a bit? Go chill in the... In your room. Yeah, in the death room upstairs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Little did Cabrera know, but Dorothea had $3,000 cash on her and was going to meet her longtime resident, John McCauley. Dorothea pretty much went in the coffee shop for long enough that Cabrera was out of sight, then hopped into a taxi with John McCauley to a bar on the other side of Sacramento. Witnesses at that bar say she and John McCauley say that she was pounding uh, booze, like just ripping shots of vodka and stuff and yelling about everything that was going on. These fucking cops. <laughs> I have bodies in my backyard if I want to. So getting blackout drunk and talking about death sounds like uh, us recording. <laughs> was Randy at the bar that day? Maybe trying to talk her down. Maybe she let her bummed her misty yeah. menthol and have a misty. You'll feel better. <laughs> Oh, I forgot all fucking about Randy. <laughs> How did that come about? What were we saying? I don't know. I, don't know. I just remember she smokes mythi, misty menthols. For sure. Yeah. So are those all 120s or those are specific 120s? I think those are all 120s. Long ones, yeah. Yeah. The longer the better, hot stuff. <laughs> God. <laughs> take a 150 if they make them. I, I'll take Miss Hildebrand over her. <laughs> At least I could send Miss Hildebrand to voicemail. <laughs> Eventually, John went on his way, and Dorothea left for Stockton, California. While this was going on, the dig team found another body in another state of decomposition. So clearly, Dorothea knew something about the bodies in her yard, and they had enough to arrest her. When Cabrera walked over to the coffee shop, he found that Dorothea was gone. Oh, no shock. <laughs> 
How did you not have your what? 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 I don't like to use it too many times. Well, I feel this is a yeah, great it probably one. Probably was a good time. <laughs> or I got you. What? 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 That was terrible. <laughs> Oh, now I'm going to cut that to the board and replace mine. <laughs> I'm going to use yours going forward. How do you like that, fella? I, go for it. While the Sacramento police were trying to explain themselves to the public, like, how did you let this woman out of your sight, digging up bodies in her backyard? <laughs> <laughs> Dorothea was at the Royal Viking Hotel in Los Angeles using the name Dorothea Johansson. She stayed in her room watching TV and only left to get food. But... She got bored, something along those lines, I don't know. And she went to a bar about two miles away from where she was staying. Dorothea was done up in all her expensive clothes and makeup because when she left to get her coffee, she had a bright red dress on, like mm-hmm. all this fancy shit to yeah. leave, go get the coffee. She's an upper class uh, young lady, upper class young Mexican grandma. <laughs> yeah. Of course she was dressed up. <laughs> And never thought to slightly change her appearance when going out and still used her fucking first name, which is spelled also very, you know, uniquely. It's a unique name. Yeah. Maybe change it up a little bit. Get a wig. (laughs) Dress down, perhaps, if you're always dressed up. Take off the big glasses. That would change. Maybe wear Zach Baggins glasses. (laughs) I tried to switch glasses with Zach. Where are you going? <laughs> Can't wait to have him on the show. Oh, man. He's going to pummel me when we go to the uh, museum. I hope he's there. <laughs> we'll record it. Yeah, <laughs> Instagram live, Dave getting his ass whooped by. Why are you taping me? <laughs> Is that an EVP recorder? <laughs> So Dorothy is at this bar and she ended up getting in a conversation with a guy named Charles Wilgues. Charles was a regular at this bar and fit the victim profile of Dorothea. He was elderly and down on his luck. Through her conversation, Dorothea learned that Charles was receiving disability payments. Ding, 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 keyword, ding, 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 ding. And this is crazy because she's on the run. Yeah, like that's a... It's over. A longer term scam. How are you going to work that? Yeah. Um, She started telling him how she could get Charles more money because of how well she knew the system. Then Dorothea started going hard on Charles. She told him that they should go somewhere and have a Thanksgiving dinner together. And she started bringing up marriage. (laughs) Charles headed home to his apartment, told Dorothea, um, who she was using the name Donna at that point, that he would see her tomorrow. He's like, I'm going to go back to the bar and bang Randy. You're you're a bit much, Dorothea. (laughs) Charles was laying back watching TV when all of a sudden a picture of Dorothea popped up on the news saying that she was wanted for multiple murders. Instead of calling the police, Charles called that CBS news station. The anchor he spoke with felt that there was probably a big story to break here. Carl Monday? <laughs> it was not Carl Monday. Fuck. Well, that's it's not worth a <laughs> lick of salt. It was Gene Silver. That's a real anchor name. That's it a good is. one, too. It is. I mean, he's not a blemish on Carl Monday's ass, but yeah. <laughs> give Silver his credit, I guess. I'm Gene Silver. <laughs> Good evening. <laughs> Breaking news this evening. Randy at the bar is getting laid tonight. Gene Silver went over to Charles's apartment with some pictures of Dorothea. 
Charles confirmed that it was her. So Gene Silver got to work making sure that he was going to be the one to break the story. That same night, Gene Silver and his news crew went to the Royal Viking at 10.20 p.m. and knocked on the door. She answered the phone, was hit with the light from the cameras, and was asked by police to show her ID. Dorothea took her driver's license out from her purse and handed it to the police, which read Dorothea Montalvo, 1426 F Street. So Gene got all his crew together, called the police, and kind of went at the same time and stood behind them yeah. to tape the reaction and what happened. Just blast her with those yeah. bright lights. Yeah. On CTV, right? Yeah. Gene Silver <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> no, this old woman has not won the Publishers Clearinghouse Million Dollar Prize. She's suspected of having corpses buried two feet in shallow graves in her backyard. I'm Gene Silver, more at 11. See, here's my problem with On Gene this Silver. news station. <laughs> Gene called the police and showed up behind them. Carl Monday ain't just showing up. He would have went. He would have went and just ass. knocked on her door. <laughs> Excuse me, ma'am. Are they digging up bodies in your backyard right now? <laughs> what do you now? have to say about that? What do you have to say? <laughs> you don't need the police for protection. Gene Silver's a pussy. He really is. Fuck you, Gene Silver. <laughs> Go watch some Carl Monday. I know See how what, it's done. Yeah, how it's really done. <laughs> Real <laughs> I-team. <laughs> I got a message from we got a message from someone asking if we're making those Carl Monday Fox shirts. <laughs> <laughs> looking for them. I forgot about that. I, I mean, can we do that? Can we legally do that? Sure, we can. Spell it with a K. Carl with a K. You can get yeah. away with it. Or just have like a like a calendar, but just the Monday, like, <laughs> like Carl with the calendar. Like it's a made up name anyway, right? That's true. I don't know. Maybe he still owns it though. <laughs> I don't know. Can you trademark a day of the week? I don't think so. What if a name you can, right? <laughs> I forgot about that Carl Monday Fox. <laughs> Maybe we should make those shirts. <laughs> Dorothy was charged with a total of nine murders. Uh, Everson Gilmouth, Ruth Monroe, Leona Carpenter, Burt Gonzalez, Montoya, Dorothy Miller, Benjamin Fink, James Gallup, Vera Martin, and Betty Palmer. The belief among investigators and the prosecutors was that most of her victims had been drugged until they overdosed. Then Dorothea wrapped them in bed sheets and a plastic tarp before dragging them to shallow graves in her backyard. With clearly the help of somebody, there's no way yeah. she did this on her own. So they found seven bodies in the backyard, and she had the two additional... One was in the coffin. What was the one other person? In the front yard. Oh, in the front there yard. There was someone buried in the front. I believe it was Betty Palmer was in the front yard, which that's crazy in that area. Like you said, it's a busier area. Yeah, it's not, you know. The hotel was across the street, right? Like when she got the coffee. That's that's busy. Yeah. Just to put a body there. It's planting flowers out here. <laughs> Nothing going on. It's a bag of fertilizer. In 1992, Dorothea declined a plea deal that would give her life in prison without the possibility of parole, so she would avoid the death penalty, but she declined. Um, she admitted to people in jail that she killed her tenants, kind of bragging. Um, so prosecutors brought those people forward as witnesses immediately, but they had uh, a little over 130 yeah, I saw witnesses. That. That's a lot. 
and at the time it was a very very expensive trial it was a little over half million dollars mm. why did it take so long to get to trial um, this happened in 1988 i also saw yeah, that her long, long lost daughter testified in her defense at trial long lost <laughs> immediately you're yeah. like okay fuck are you doing here that's the one that she gave away right right so. off the bat so okay. she had she was a great mother yeah saying how great she was she's been so great to me all along we're kind of i guess more talking about her rough childhood upbringing maybe as extenuating that's, that's circumstances the route they went that, with it yeah what else are you gonna do well yeah i'm not sure the long lost daughter has a lot of expertise in what her no, mom went through no, as a kid maybe not the interrogation tapes are interesting with the cop just sitting it's just one-on-one him talking to her in a desk she's like I don't know anything about it. Like she sticks to it, yeah. and she, she went down, down with the ship. Yeah. <laughs> the jury started deliberations on July fifteenth, nineteen ninety three, and all eleven jurors agreed to convict Dorothea guilty of murder, except for one juror, Jesus Sanchez. He just straight up refused to convict her or give a reason why. Like he was just being an asshole, mm. like refused to speak, kind of shit, like being a kind of a kid about stuff. On August 26th, 1993, the other 11 jurors were able to convince Jesus to find Dorothea guilty of three of the murders. Jesus straight up said to the media afterwards, quote, you got three, you're not getting any more. The jury found Dorothea guilty of murder in the first degree in the cases of Dorothy Miller and Benjamin Fink and murder in the second degree of Leona Carpenter. However, because Jesus Sanchez refused to deliberate anymore the judge declared a mistrial in the rest of the cases and i guess no need to retry after you have the three convictions no it just sucks for the other families it does yeah that's not fair about it you don't get justice because this juror's being an asshole Mm -hmm. and i don't feel like that's should be allowed for a juror just to shut down and say they're not deliberating anymore like there should be a replacement of thing yeah i mean Mm -hmm. how can a juror just say yeah i'm done this is over like you, you don't get to make that call. I mean, I guess the judge was was fine with it, but I was the judge. I'm like, all right, you're out. We're gonna get somebody else in here then, because if you're not gonna discuss this, like, you yeah. can't. But if you say if, I think she's not guilty in these other murders, what? And you just you don't move your position, and they don't sway you. What? I mean, then you're a hung jury, I guess, and you start well, over. That's the right? mistrial, like, yeah. But but they already convicted her on three, so they're not going to waste time retrying her on the other ones because yeah, that's she's the, going away. That doesn't sit right with me, though. I think you do retry them again. Yeah. You make her go through the whole process. I don't know. I think that's owed to the families at least. Apparently not. Dorothea received life without the possibility of parole to be served at the Central California Women's Facility. She died on March 27th, 2011 from natural causes at 82 years old. And she always maintained her innocence that she, everybody died from natural causes and they were just buried in the yard. <laughs> she never killed anyone. Yeah. But why does she bury them in the yard and keep cashing their checks? Yeah. <laughs> and so was there anything ever that came up with an accomplice then or nothing came of that? Nothing concrete. No. Just like I said, the cop, yeah, speculated. She hired, I don't know, he said convicts to help dig the holes. I don't know where you get that from. But the hero of the story is Judy, who, if she didn't press this, this could have went on for a long fucking time yeah. without being identified. It's just so crazy that it did go on that long. Yeah. I feel so bad for her because she's, 
like she's a really caring social worker and she's in the documentary obviously talking about what happened and because she's the one that she's like i heard about this dorothea puente rave reviews from everyone so she's the one that took bert there and she felt awful yeah she felt like she you know that she was the cause of cause of it yeah i mean it's all terrible the bert one rubs me it's super wrong. sad. That's a real yeah. sad one. Yeah. Of course, because he started to like thrive, it seemed like, under her. and mm-hmm. Or at least when he was living there and was doing really well. And then whatever the fuck happened with that, passing out at the bar, it's not like it was downhill from there. And then tried to ask for help, but couldn't. Didn't know how. Multiple times. The thing with him calling the post office is really sad. Like and is. He can't. And if you're the post office and you get that kind of call and you hear that shouting in the background, do you not alert the police? Like, yeah, how do they find call, that out? This they person. find that out later. Yeah, that was trial stuff. Yeah. Like, if the, this person's calling, seemed distressed, and someone was yelling at him in the background, maybe go check it out. Yeah, and maybe they did, and it just wasn't followed up on. I don't know. Well, go go check out Ghost Adventures and see what you think <laughs> about the house. The other thing is this. <laughs> The psychic, the psychic, when he was uh, contacting them, he started choking because oftentimes, like, um, the way the person died afflicts him something. So uh, kind of suggesting what, like, she poisoned Jesus them. Christ. But, like, you don't choke from the poison. You So not sure what they were getting at there. So the psychic started choking, but then the cameraman started choking, too. That legit is probably one of the most offensive things i've ever heard on this show it's crazy like this burt montoya dude schizophrenic mm-hmm. can't really communicate but we're gonna go on tv and say that his ghost is haunting people he's like i see a may, maybe b oh it's uh alvaro burt but he went by burt a b that's what it is i'm like dude. oh he really said that a b wow yeah. contacting a f- b what an asshole it's a bit much. Yeah. There's another clip of Zach going through the house yelling, when are you going to try to kill me? I couldn't, I couldn't pull that one though. Yelling for Dorothea. When are you going to kill me? No words. Are they still making those shows like new episodes? I don't know. Oh. I think so. Or he has some spinoff show or something. The first one I ever saw was when they were here at the Franklin castle in Cleveland. I'm like, Oh, Franklin Castle. I'm like, yeah. Check this out. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> You know what one was good? So bad. Was that, uh, I don't know if good is the word, but. Um, Entertaining? Yeah. Ghost Ghost Hunters, I think. It was, I think it was like one of the first big ones for that, that genre. But those dudes, some of their episodes, they would find nothing. Which, of course, would be the case. Right. Not like these guys. Like sometimes they found some really cool shit. Sometimes they found nothing at all. And mm. I think that got boring after a while for people. So they're yeah. like, we need to ramp this shit up. And then ghost adventures came around and yeah, makes sense. I did come up with a, an idea for a dating app out of this dating app for people that live in boarding houses. Puente of fish. <laughs> <laughs> we think, does this go with your, what is your other one? Prisonerpussy.com. Prisonerpussy.com. <laughs> Gotta start uh, trademarking all these real quick. Good idea. Someone else jumps on yeah, it. Plenty of fish. You just told the whole world down though. Gotta get on that. I'm not gonna start it. You, <laughs> someone wants that. You take that jump of an idea and you run with it. <laughs> uh, sad story. I felt really bad yeah. for Judy watching that. P 
people fucking suck. Yeah, that's uh, that's the moral of this story, I guess. Dorothea Puente sucks. She's not great. Zach Baggins sucks. Just really, uh, we shit on him the last couple of weeks pretty hardcore. He did that to himself by yeah, doing dumb on. shit on cases we've covered. Just saying, the last couple of weeks, it's been... Uh, I usually don't watch it, but I don't know why I felt like I maybe should watch it for this show. I meant to watch the Netflix one, and then I was working on some stuff. Netflix one's good. Yeah, it's a good to it. They focus primarily on Bert for that. Because it's only yeah. like 45 yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah, sure. But the other thing I found I want to mention is that on Amazon, there's a uh, cooking with the serial killer cookbook. She had a pen pal named Shane Bugby. So you end up writing a book, apparently getting a cookbook of Dorothea's recipes. Authentic Mexican. Yeah, woman. I'm sure they're authentic <laughs> Mexican, right? This is still available. You said it's on uh, Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I think it was only available on Amazon Australia. That's where the link took me. Mm. And then I realized, because I was in the Australian Amazon store, I'm like, oh, what else can I get over here? Because it was suggesting Vegemite and stuff for me. But you can have beer delivered in Australia on Amazon. Really? That's yeah. cool. So I just get like Foster's, like, yeah. like a monthly subscription of it delivered. <laughs> they probably all get, right? <laughs> that and um, whatever the fuck shots they give themselves to protect yourself from kangaroo attacks. I think it's like an... Uh, like a uh, vaccine for there's uh, a vaccine kangaroo <laughs> vaccine I, I would imagine i mean it's it's pretty bad over there right they're everywhere like we were the, didn't we were in the ones that said like you can go to the beach at least you'll be safe and then everyone started sending us videos of kangaroos on the beach like they're fucking taking over that entire country you need a vaccine for a kangaroo attack so does it ward off the kangaroos or just makes you feel better when they attack? We'll have to ask an Australian. I don't know. <laughs> get maybe, someone on the show. Maybe it's like a rabies shot, but you get it beforehand. Like just because mm. you're Prevented. inevitably going to get fucked up by a kangaroo living over there. Got it. You just you have to get it probably, you know, every couple years or so. I don't know. We'll have to ask them. All right. Fair enough. Possibly the second episode of Mike's History Corner, which will be what? June? Maybe we do that quarterly on patreon.com slash Pod $10 tier might be about Australia. Really? Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> First episode will be later this month. Looking forward to it. All right. Anything else on this one? No, no. So plenty of fish.com Dave. Puente of fish.com. <laughs> what was the other one? Prison pussy. Prison pussy.com. People are going to start. I'm scared to Google I, I don't, don't Google prison pussy. I don't know what that's going to bring just up. Just a picture of Jody Arias. It says uh, wife material. That's all right. <laughs> um, okay. What do we got from uh, Patreon, Dave? I've got some shout outs for new patrons. Thank you to Katie McBroom, Boaz Huber, Jessica Purdy, Dylan Schropp, Lilycat75, Utopia Rage, Carolyn Henschel, BC Stead, Alice Stevenson, Ryan Hawk, Mike Majors, Matt Crone, Kiki Anataco, Ashley Wigglesworth, Kylie Harrop, Faith, Clitoris, the Big Red Dog. <laughs> Get it like Clifford. <laughs> Big Dick John and the Monkey Tito. <laughs> Ian Docker. 
Elizabeth Salas, Gina Erickson, Rochelle Turner, one of Mike's college girlfriends. I don't think we can narrow that down. Amber Perry, Dylan Gibbs, Mackenzie Horn, Stephanie Coughlin, Pew Pew Pilgrims, Wendy Skews, Benjamin Majors, Amber Luciani, Andy Wise, Casey Anthony is ugly. Sorry, Dave and Mike, love you. Well, well that's you're just wrong, stupid, and jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Are you on wikifeet.com? <laughs> Probably not. But thanks for the support. <laughs> GK Buds, Haley Top, Honky Kong, C Mac Newfie, Nikki Batag- Bata- <laughs> Nikki Bataglia. Easy for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley Stevenson, Rose, Billy Gray, Bitchy Witch, Morgan Barnes, Hannah M, Delicious Carnage, Hannah Banana Beans, Joey, Mr. Hildebrandt. Oh, he died 30 what years that? ago. <laughs> mm. Under uh, questionable circumstances. <laughs> Very questionable. Hello, I'm calling the funeral home. My husband dies. <laughs> Mrs. Hildebrand, call me back. I'm trying to get cremation services. Uh, Mary Dave, fuck Ian, cuck Mike. Cuck with a K? Cuck with a C. Well, that's cheating. That's FMC. <laughs> <laughs> I like that game, though. Fuck, Mary cuck. <laughs> That'd be all right. Paige Gunn, Zachary Hawkins, <laughs> Haley Bond, Annie Cobza, Jasmine Enriquez, Kristen Crocker, Joe Kickarse, Heather Loves Dave More Than Samantha. Got a new entry, new entry. Didn't I say this one last week? Shannon Loves Dave? Is that new that I have to bring up tonight? Oh, I don't know. On shout outs? Yeah. Oh, man. I can't remember. A lot of love in this room. Wait, wasn't Shannon the original? No. Samantha. Oh, Samantha. There's too many. This is a Royal Rumble at this point. Melanie Jones. Haywood, you pee on me. (laughs) Heather (laughs) Gallagher. (laughs) Summer Vlietstra and Dave. Oh, Dave. Just Dave. Dave, thanks for joining Patreon. (laughs) Thank you so much to all new patrons. Thank you. Ian. Uh, For iTunes, I have one for Shannon Loves Dave. Oh, hey there. She got two shout outs. That's not fair. Yeah. HB22, Heather LG78, Jesse Cooper88, and Brick Guy04. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. Anything else on your end, Dave? Yeah, I have uh, one international shout out from Killbox250, who's a country of origin I neglected to write down. I believe it's Canada, though. So thank you. I have a couple of military shout outs. Uh, Veronica McLaughlin, Air Force medic in the 911th Reserve Airlift Wing. Thank you so much for your service. And also Ryan Doherty in the 652nd MP, which I believe is uh, Army Military Police. Awesome. So thanks for your service, guys. Ryan passed along a story that he was uh, stationed at Abu Ghraib, the prison. And someone came in with a wound, and the prisoners had sex with the hole, the wound hole. Jesus. Because, of course, holes is holes. Yeah. Where, where's this prison at? Abu Ghraib. Where's that at? 
It's in Iraq, I think. Okay. That's crazy. That's not fun. No. That's yucky. Yucky. (laughs) That's one word for it. (laughs) Very yucky. That's a way to end an episode. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you both for your service. Yeah, thank you. Uh, And then just two quick shout outs. One for acoustical interiors. They sent me an awesome vintage Jim Jones cassette. It's like a reprint of one of the old ones. Cool. It's really cool. There's no note or no name. All it says is acoustical interiors, but thank you. Nice. For the cassette. And then for Kenneth Hoover, he sent us um, a couple of his books. He's an author. Some science fiction books. Very cool. Very cool. Let me see one of those. Kenneth Mark Hoover. These look cool. All right. We're going to check these out. Cool. Yeah, that one looks badass. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TalkTick, uh, Patreon.com, slash Necronomapod, Amazon.com, search Necronomapod, and I think that was it, Necronomapod.com. So check us out, and uh, thank you so much. All right, you guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers.